this time, those who are kindergarten and under may go to We Worship. I want to make sure you picked up a uh, sermon note uh, sheet today. They have our questions for further discussion and application, whether with your D groups or yourself personally. Um, I think that you'll find that the Absorbing the Word of God, it gets immensely better as you ask yourself these questions and think through them and discuss them with others. But also, uh, for the first time, there's a Q code uh, where you can scan it with your camera phone. Um, how many of you have a smartphone with you? Just raise your hand. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I thought. How many of you on that smartphone have the version Bible app? Raise your hand. Pretty much what I thought. All right, so if you scan that, it will take you to a live event, um, which is essentially a digital bulletin. <laughs> um, and so you'll have the sermon notes on there, as well as various other um, events that are going on, announced and otherwise. And so you can scan it, and it might be a help to you. Um, and so if you want further reflection or think through it, that's something we're trying to do, uh, and just have a, a way of communication out there. Um, I have found that you cannot over-communicate uh, in anything, um, and so that's uh, just one more way uh, that might be a help to you if you use that Bible app. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles, First uh, Peter uh, chapter 4. Um, we are going through the Bible uh, in the New Testament uh, reading, uh, and so this week we're reading First Peter chapter 3 and 4. And so we're going to look at some of that uh, and just kind of give you some helps as you read it through this week and um, encourage you to do that. Uh, our goal is for you to read God's Word. In Christ, we are a family together, um, and uh, we must know what it means to be in Christ, in His Word, abiding in His Word. And so uh, in it, we will find the strength to love our neighbors near and far, advancing the message of the Savior in our own hearts as well as abroad the glory of our creator and so reading the word of god is an indispensable compound exercise and so if you do that you'll find there will be other disciplines that will arise as you read the word of god so um, some of you make up your bed every day uh, and i would encourage you uh, that more important than making up your bed is reading the word of god um, i hope every one of you brushes your teeth um, so don't tell me you're undisciplined everyone knows the discipline this is going to be even more critical and brushing your teeth, all right? And so just read the Word of God and, and put some time every day in the doing of it. Uh, so we're going to focus in on this chapter. And um, in chapter 2, we looked at that last week and saw uh, how God is working together in a church. If you keep on reading into that, uh, you're going to see, uh, beginning with verse 13, this mandate to submit to authority. And uh, we're going to find that in this example that there are multiple authorities that Peter brings out, uh, and every one of them are flawed. And how do you live with hope uh, in a world that you should be strange to and the authorities therein that are not working for your favor necessarily, but yet still we respond as a, uh, someone living for another kingdom and that looks like honoring authority. And so we have the government, uh, verse 18, you can look at employer situations that are, uh, again, unjust uh, and, and adversarial. In chapter 3, 
Uh, you have the spousal relationships, especially with the husbands to the wives, where the husband is no great husband. Uh, and how do you live with someone like that in an adversarial, perhaps, relationship there? Um, but then we go on and we realize that that suffering is going to happen, but we're going to find in Jesus the pattern of suffering of which we will hold on to. And then in chapter 3, verse 18, it has this great initiative of Jesus Christ and his love for us. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. And so this great initiative of Jesus Christ, his, his great uh, effort in bringing us back and responding to him in love. So this evidently is the engagement season, in case you haven't heard. Uh, there are couples left and right that are pledging themselves to one another uh, in uh, marriage. And so uh, we've got, uh, I think, uh, first Josh and Kylie uh, that did that. And then my own daughter and Anthony, uh, Molly and Anthony, uh, also uh, proposed. Uh, and, and, uh, and so what happens now, I don't remember this so much when we were uh, engaged, but uh, now you have these big these celebration uh, balloons and signs, and, and on it, it says, she said yes. And that's that, uh, that encompasses everything, right? She said yes, or she said yes to the ring, uh, or something of that effect. And so, of course, the ring in our culture is the sacrifice uh, that the, the husband is to, or the future husband-to-be, is to lay down some money, some moolah, and to buy a ring and to show, hey, I am serious about this. And so uh, in it, uh, this pledge, though the prospective wife says yes or no. And so we have these celebrations, and, um, and then we have anniversaries, and, and in some ways you see this message of she still says yes. On the anniversary, or he still says, I want you, after how many ever years that uh, someone's been married together. And, and so we, this is all plastered on social media, and, and I, I'm finding that the real um, test of the marriages aren't always the things that you put on social media and, and the great life stages of, of the, the wedding celebration and, and the one-year anniversary and the first, second, third, fourth born or how many other children come, um, that it's more in the hidden places and the, the heart that things don't look so glamorous on social media where someone is still caring for someone and there is no great reward. Uh, for it, other than I'm just holding true to what I said I would do. If you want to see romance, you go into the care facilities where you see some husband or some wife diligently, faithfully, daily caring for the spouse. Um, that's not put on Instagram and Facebook. Um, but nonetheless, it is some of the greater marks of love and that someone still says yes. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it is as Jesus is saying to us, will you marry me? Here is my price for you. I lay down my life. Christ suffered once for sins, 
Why? That he might bring us to God. What did it cost? He was being put to death in flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And so, God is still saying to us, I want you. I love you. We're going to celebrate communion at the end of our time. And in it, as we see the bread that represents his flesh given for us, and drink of the cup, which represents his blood, which is shed for us, in it, Jesus is saying, I love you. And then the communion, our response simply is to eat and drink and say we will be one with the Lord. And so we will always do and look forward to the Lord's return. But the test of it isn't just whether we eat the bread and drink the cup. Those are symbols. We keep on reading as we go in 1 Peter chapter 3, you see verse 21. Baptism is the symbol of saying yes to Jesus Christ. But even more than the baptism is what the baptism represents, that I lay down my life and I take up the life of Jesus. I am immersed in the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of God, I come up out of death, identifying with the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. But how do you know when there's resurrection life in someone's life? Well, as we keep on reading in chapter 4, it's going to look awfully like suffering. How do we know that we've said yes to Jesus and we still say yes to Jesus? is when life gets difficult and we still say yes. It is if uh, we respond to Satan as he says to God himself, referring to Job, yes, why won't he serve you? You've blessed him with so many things, but you take away his children, you take away the blessings, you take away his health, he will curse you. And God says, well, let's see. And Job responds by saying, though you slay me still, I will trust you. It is to say in the midst of it, Jesus is my everything. And the only way we know that is when the everything else apart from Jesus gets taken. So, with that being said, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's look at verse 12. And if you'll stand as we read verse 12 and following through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that time. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You may be seated. Verse 12 
It's not one we like in the verse, but nonetheless, it's there. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. You could call this an ordeal. And so the question I want to present to you is what do we do to busy ourselves when we're in the midst of ordeals? With what do we occupy? How do we direct our thinking, our activity, when hard things happen, when ordeals come into your life? A trial, a trial is whenever there's a separation made between your allegiance to God and your allegiance to other things. And you can't go on the same road you once went on. All right? I'll share that with you again. A trial is whenever there's a separation made between your allegiance to God and your allegiance to other things. And you cannot go on the same road you were on. A crisis point is put in your life where you have to make a choice. Things are being taken away from you, and you're asking yourself, do I love God for God's sake, or do I love God for the things he gives to me? What happens when those things are no longer there? Paul, or Peter, gives us warning, don't be surprised when these things happen. So let me just say this. When ordeals come in our life, simply this, we refuse to be surprised. All right? Refuse to be surprised when ordeals come your way, when trials happen in your life, but instead we are to anticipate what God will do. Okay? Anticipate what God will do when we're in the midst of these ordeals. So when it comes upon you, test you as though something strange were happening to you. I'm reminded of Psalm 66, verse 10. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. So the true can handle the fire, while the false cannot, and so there is a separation that happens in our life. It's interesting, when suffering happens in our life, uh, whether physically, emotionally, or otherwise, it, first of all, it shows you what you really can trust in. Second, it shows you the invalid nature of things that we tend to occupy our brains with. The inadequacy of those things that we tend to trust in. What does it look like to really trust in God? It's interesting when things happen, like some of our church have had cancer, and there is this, this issue that brings to their mind, okay, the things I used to take joy in don't seem to satisfy the same. When I'm having to look at chemotherapy in front of me, or surgery in front of me, and, and when those trials happen, it's fascinating how the things that we used to take great comfort in to occupy ourselves, no longer work. Netflix doesn't quite do it. When you're looking at the problems of your life, they can give you a mild distraction. But what happens when the trial is greater than the power of distraction? And it keeps you up at night. It reveals that there's only a few things that you can really trust in. And so, in one situation, trusting and obeying God may cause career loss. In other cases, maybe the career loss makes it hard for you to trust and obey. In both cases, you're in the fire when you feel a separation that's happening in your life. 
So a fire trial is any situation in which obedience and trust in God will cost you something very, very dear. We are growing rapidly in a society where if you say that I will obey God and the directions of God, we've been telling you that this would happen, but now we're starting to see it happening. Where if you go that way, you may face job loss. Because the society that says, I love God and the things of God, even his views and standards on marriage and sexuality and other issues, comes with a cost. And we are, this year, seeing the price of when society says, that standard is no longer good for America. What will you do? The fire will reveal what is important and powerful while it reveals what is limited in its power. You find out who your true friends are when you're in the ordeal. Whether it's not going to be human so much, but to understand that it's Jesus Christ that walks with you through it all. We keep on reading verse 13. Rejoice as opposed to being shocked insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So this rejoice and be glad shows intensity of joy. He says, shout for joy when this happens, when his glory is revealed. Why would you do that? Because you are anticipating that in the midst of these things taken from you, Christ is present, that God is working. We've just sung about this, this idea of waiting for you. When we don't even see that God is working, we believe that God is working through the ordeal. Can you by faith look to that and say, I'm going to shout for joy for what will be, for what I believe God is doing, that in the midst of the ordeal to say, God is good and he's orchestrating these events for his glory and I get to be a part of it and in the process, my heart is being refined to trust more in Christ. And then it says, so look at this, rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now, what's our go-to when suffering happens? What's our go-to when ordeals happen? When things are being separated? Is it not complaining? <sighs> what, what is this? What, why does life have to be, and we'll, and we'll start Blaming the bosses and the supervisors and the husbands and the wives and all the ones who have authority in various ways. But all the while, our complaints are still going up to God. Notice it's hard to complain and still have joy. These things cannot coexist together. But he tells us to rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed to say, let's believe that God is working, that he's doing these things. So I will not complain. So complaining and suffering reveals that our heart is not set on Christ and his return, much more when we are complaining in seasons without persecution. <laughs> All right? He's telling us rejoice when things are hard. What about when things are great? Isn't it amazing how we will complain? Even in life is easy? How are we going to be prepared for when life gets hard? Something about that. God is preparing us for difficult days so that Christ will be shown as greatest of all. 
So let's show that Christ is greatest of all when life is going well. Believing that Christ is at work. Verse 14, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Though we may be cursed by society, we have the glory and blessing of the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, in times of ordeal, how do we busy ourselves? Let me just warn you, we seek out obedience and resist escapism sins, right? One of the things that happens is when life gets hard, we start looking for things to distract us, to satisfy us for just a little while. I remember when times when I've tried to go fasting, it's amazing when you're just hangry, you know, you're just miserable, like, I think I'll just go take a nap. Why? Because for 30 minutes, my mind is not on the pain or the misery of, of it all, and I'll feel gutter, better. And then you start thinking, man, I sure would like that piece of chocolate right now. Why? Because you, we've learned to go to certain things to satisfy and make us feel good for just a little bit. Or, or let's flip on the TV or flip on the YouTube or whatever it is that distracts our mind. And so I'm just going to share with you there's certain escapism sins that we tend to go to. But if we're not careful, it will take us down dark roads. And so in the midst of this, see verse 15, he says, Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler or troublemaker and agitator. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. It's interesting that verse 16, the word Christian, we don't see it much in the Bible. It's only used three times. One in Acts, or, or a couple times in Acts, referring to uh, believers in Antioch, and one by Agrippa talking to Paul. But here it says, anyone suffers as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but let them glorify God in that name. For it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. It begins with us. What would be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? In other words, if you're a believer and hard times come, don't go to these sins. Rest hard. Follow hard after Christ because after all, you are the household of God. And God's going to begin his purifying work there with us. Verse 17, just one observation. For it is time for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? For the believer, this earth, this world is the closest to hell a believer will get. And judgment begins with the house of God right here on this earth. But because they are in Christ, God takes the punishment and places it on Jesus, and so the closest they ever experience to hell is their life here. But for those who are not believers, and how is that defined? Notice verse, verse 17. For those who do not obey the gospel of God, that's the definition of unbeliever according to Peter. They do not obey the gospel of God. Those that are in this case, then this world is the closest to heaven they will ever get. And when time comes, when their life ends, then judgment really begins. As appointed unto man once to die, then after this the judgment. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? 
Proverbs 13, 11, 31 says that the righteous is repaid on, on earth. How much more the wicked and the sinner. The understanding is that we can't get to be with God on our own. We're scarce, scarcely saved. Why? Because Jesus Christ saves us. It is the work of God that saves us. It's not our accumulation of all the good things that we try to do. The early rain church in Chengdu. I've read some of their letters times past. The persecution that began in China really began in 2018. It started with the um, detaining of several of the elders of the early reign church. All of them were detained at some point. In 2019, uh, the, the pastor of the church was sentenced for nine years. Wang Yi. In it, some letters came out. One of the letters that Wang Ti wrote has this statement. If this regime is one day overthrown by God, it will be for no other reason than God's righteous punishment and revenge for this evil. For on earth, there has only ever been a thousand-year church. There has never been a thousand-year government. There is only eternal faith. There is no eternal power. Those who lock me up will one day be locked up by angels. Those who interrogate me will finally be questioned and judged by Christ. When I think of this, the Lord fills me with a natural compassion and grief toward those who are attempting to and actively imprisoning me. Pray that the Lord will use me, that he will grant me patience and wisdom, that I might take the gospel to them. Separate me from my wife and children. Ruin my reputation. Destroy my life and my family. The authorities are capable of doing all of these things. However, no one in this world can force me to renounce my faith. No one can make me change my life, and no one can raise me from the dead. And so, respectable officers, stop committing evil. This is not for my benefit, but rather for yours and your children's. I plead earnestly with you to stay your hands, for why should you be willing to pay the price of eternal damnation and hell for the sake of a lowly sinner such as I? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the eternal living God. He died for sinners and rose to life for us. He is my King. And the king of the whole earth, yesterday, today, and forever, I am his servant, and I am prison because of this. I will resist in meekness those who resist God, and I will joyfully violate all laws that violate God's laws. So what do we do when the consequences of this government comes upon the believer? When things are being taken away, your body, your health, what do we do? Verse 19. We deposit our souls to our faithful creator. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. One of the things I learned when I was young is uh, as I had jobs and worked around the house that there was a, an expense I had in front of me that was college. And so when I worked I was to save money, put away some. Back then, it was such a thing as a certificate of deposit that actually made money. Not so much today, but uh, put the money in a CD, certificate of deposit, and the rest of it just kind of frittered away. I don't know where it went. But when it was time, I actually had money for college, 
because I learned to invest it and trust it in something that would protect it and would actually build upon it. What we have here is that when you go through your life and there's suffering that happens, entrust your souls to a faithful creator while doing good. See it as investing your soul in Jesus Christ. When it takes your obedience and it has a cost, when generosity has a cost, when hospitality has a cost, when loving someone has a cost, you say, I entrust this and the labors and what it takes from me, I entrust that to Jesus Christ while doing good. When you look at the end of your marriage because of health, and you think of all the grievance that might be because of that, the pain, you entrust your soul to Jesus Christ and say, I follow you, Lord. Wherever your road takes me, if it takes me through grief, then let it be as long as you're with me. If it takes me through poverty, then let it be as long as you're with me. To be able to say, I still do. To the invitation of Jesus Christ. That same pastor, Wang Ti, wrote in that same letter. If God decides to use the persecution of the communist regime against the church to help more Chinese people to despair of their futures to lead them through a wilderness of spiritual disillusionment, and through this, to make them know Jesus. If through this he continues disciplining and building up his church, then I am joyfully, willfully, willing to submit to God's plan, for his plans are always benevolent and good. Pastor, my disobedience is one part of the global commission. Christ's great commission requires of us great disobedience. The goal of disobedience is not to change the world, but to testify about another world. Whatever cost is required for us to follow Jesus. When people around us think it's strange that, what's the big deal? Just whatever. Just go along. But it comes at the cost of following God, and they think it's strange. Our goal isn't necessarily to change American government. That's not our job. Our job is to tell the American government there's another world coming. And that is what we live for. And when there's a group of people that live in American government that live for another kingdom, lo and behold, if God doesn't change that government. But our goal isn't just to say, let's change America. Our goal is to say, there's another king. And he is greater. And his love is powerful. And his sacrifice is efficient. And his life is eternal. And his way is peace. Let's lay down our agenda and take the agenda of the peacemaker, the king. Strangely enough, when we do that, Jesus warned us, blessed are those who who make peace, or peacemakers, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, but... The next thing is blessed are those who are persecuted. Because when you follow that path, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that comes upon you. Let's pray.
Father, I know that as I share this, there will come a time in my life and the life of every single person here when bad things are revealed and things are being taken away. Perhaps my health, uh, the health of those I love, opportunities, freedoms, the freedoms of others, the cause of following you. And I know that in that moment, it's going to be so easy to say, why? Why, God? I felt that echo already in my heart. Lord, I pray that when we are tempted to ask why, that you would bring to our heart instead this word. And that we would remember that you are doing things in the midst of it. And so that instead of grumbling and complaining, looking for some escapist sins, that instead that we look to you and anticipate what you are doing. And that as we've sung, that we will wait for you. And as we wait for you, that you would give us cause for joy and for rejoicing. And that we would not be as those who are complaining, understanding that judgment begins with your house. And Father, that we would entrust our soul to you. And that our only hope in our life and in our death is that we are not our own, but belong to you who bought us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ belong to you, body and soul, and life and death. And not only do we recognize your precious gift that bought us, but that we willingly submit to you and entrust our soul to you. And so as we eat the bread and drink the cup that we think long and hard of your invitation to us coming through Jesus on the cross, and that as we eat that bread and drink, that we would recognize it by our own obedience to you that we still say, I do. We pray this in your name.